Podcast. Um, I am your host, as usual, Sam Thoman, joined as usual by Zach Folly. Zach, how are you doing on this fine day? Sam, my man, I am fantastic. It's uh, fat basketball season is full swing. Got NFL playoffs. Steelers and Colts both made it. A lot to smile about right now. Yeah, it's been a it's been a crazy day to say the least in the the, the Twitter world, the news world. But we're not <laughs> here to so talk true. about. Yeah, we're not here to talk about that. But if you guys are in the DC area, we're wishing you safe as usual. Hoping you are having a great day as usual. Uh, but anyway, we got a lot to talk. We got a lot of uh, general news to get to. Yeah, Zach, if you want to kick it off, we we got a su- surprisingly some Northern Illinois news to talk about. Yeah, some uh, some good news coming out of uh, DeKalb for uh, for the football team here. Um, freshman Trayvon Rudolph, freshman wide receiver Tra- Trayvon Rudolph was uh, named to the Athletics uh, College Football Freshman All-America team. He made it as a kick returner. Uh, he had 717 return yards on 30 kick returns. Not bad at all. Uh, but he also, you know, he, he had a decent year for a freshman as a, as a wide receiver as well. Uh, 14 catches for 232 yards, an average of 16.6 yards per catch. So, you know, Sam, we talked a lot about how, you know, Northern Illinois really improved throughout the course of this season. And it was young guys like this that really kind of led the way there. I think with, with Trayvon Rudolph at the wide receiver spot and Harrison Whaley at, uh, at the, um, at, at running back, it seems like, you know, coach hammock has, has got some young guys in there that can really serve as kind of foundation pieces for this team moving forward. Yeah. And I kind of want to tie in this next piece together. They, he will have a nice solid piece thrown to him for the next foreseeable future. Yeah. Cause uh, you perfect segue there, Sam, uh, Michigan state quarterback, Rocky Lombardi announced the other day that he is going to be transferring to, uh, to Northern Illinois. So Ross Bowers, who was the starting quarterback for the last two years uh, for Northern Illinois, who he transferred from, from Cal. So, you know, they've had success uh, going that power five transfer route before Ross Bowers. He was a six year senior last year. He hasn't announced if he's coming back or not, but if he's not, you know, Rocky Lombardi comes in, he was the starting quarterback at Michigan state this year. Um, his numbers weren't great. They weren't terrible, but certainly, um, you know, I, Michigan State had a, a bit of a tough year this year. It was a transitional year with Mel Tucker in year one, but uh, completed 53.5% of his passes, a little over 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns, nine interceptions. So, like I said, not not the, the greatest numbers, but certainly, you know, not terrible. Um, this is a guy who was a junior this year. Obviously, um, this year of eligibility isn't counting for for everyone. So he'll be coming into DeKalb with two years of eligibility. I know they have a couple young guys on the roster there uh, for Northern Illinois that got a little bit of time this year. So adding Rocky into the mix is kind of a veteran presence to compete for that job. It doesn't hurt to have another option. So, you know, I think for a team as young as Northern Illinois is to, to bring in kind of a veteran presence in the quarterback room certainly makes a lot of sense for them. Yeah, and Zach, I think when we looked at this past season, it seemed like Northern Illinois was on the right track. They only lost by six to the MAC champions in Ball State. They had that close one to end it in Eastern Michigan. They lost by three to the MAC West runner-ups in Western Michigan. This team seemed to be on the right track, and with Rocky Lombardi coming in next season, I don't know whether uh, Tyrese Ritchie, their redshirt senior, will be coming back, but but with Rudolph being the freshman All-American that he is coming back next season, having that added experience, 
this this Northern Illinois team should be heavily improved. We're not sure what 2021 is going to look like exactly yet, but whether it's a six-game schedule or it's a 12-game schedule, Northern Illinois, with a veteran presence at the quarterback position, has to be feeling good. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, Coach Hammock has talked a lot about kind of rebuilding the culture of, of that program. And I think, you know, getting some veteran guys in there that can help the young guys buy in and kind of guide them along the way certainly helps. I get one, uh, one more thing about Trayvon Rudolph. I wanted to give him a shout out. This is a guy, he came to Northern Illinois as a walk-on. So he came in as a walk-on by October, by the time preseason practice had started, he had earned a scholarship and then he turned that scholarship into an all, freshman All-American honor. So, so to go from a walk-on to a freshman All-American, pretty impressive for Trayvon Rudolph. So he's someone that I'll definitely have my eye on moving into the next couple of years for the Huskies. No doubt. And um, uh, we, we've got some news coming out of Kent, uh, Zach, if you want to break that down. Yeah. So um, anyone that's followed the Mac for a couple of years now, they all, you, you remember Woody Barrett, uh, the, the Kent state quarterback, he transferred to Kent state from Auburn. Uh, whenever Sean Lewis was was named the head coach at Kent State two years ago. Uh, he's a former four-star recruit. He was the number six dual threat quarterback uh, and the number 218 prospect overall in the class of 2016. Again, went to Auburn for, uh, for two years. Didn't get a ton of playing time there. Transferred to Kent State prior to 2018 season. Now, in 2018, he was the starter. Uh, completed 58.7% of his passes, 2,300 yards, 11 touchdowns, nine interceptions. In 2019, last year, uh, he was um, his, he lost his job to Dustin Crum, who obviously has never given it back. Woody Barrett, he didn't really see the field much this year because we all know how good Dustin Crum is. So, you know, for Woody, he, this is a guy, he's a graduate transfer. He's going to, he's going to leave and have a year, one year of eligibility left uh, because he was a senior this year at Kent state. So he's, you know, he's taken advantage of that extra year of eligibility that everyone is getting uh, from the NCAA this year. And I think, you know, he's a guy that, if he transfers to somewhere where he can fit in, in the right system, I still think he's someone that can contribute. I mean, two years ago at Kent State, he was a legitimately good dual threat quarterback. They didn't have a lot of success as a team that year, only going two and 10. But I think this is a guy that can certainly help a team somewhere. So, you know, he's he's from Dayton, Ohio, but, you know, he originally was at Auburn. And, uh, you know, had some uh, grew up in the Florida area. So he's born in Dayton, grew up in Florida. So you'd wonder maybe he transfers down south somewhere, you know, in the, in the Sun Belt or Conference USA school, something like that. I think if he could find a school that runs a system that fits his, you know, his skill set where he can kind of be a dual threat guy and, you know, throw the ball and, and run some option stuff as well. I still think he could be a successful quarterback at this level. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think this is a smart for Woody Barrett. Let's be honest. It's Dustin Crumb's job until knock on wood, he would to be get if he was to get injured this season. So I think this for him is a smart. He he has one year of eligibility left. This is a guy who was still a four star coming out of high school. He was the number six dual threat quarterback coming out of high school. That's nothing to to just like forget about this is a guy who who had a lot of promise coming out of high school it didn't turn out Auburn he went the Juker on that then he ended up at Kent State where he is now before looking at his other options this is a smart hopefully he can find his way to another program get his year may, maybe make a name for himself and then maybe find himself uh, in, in, in an NFL training camp come um, next year yeah no doubt and and I think the, the important thing to remember here with with Woody Barrett is it's it's not that 
he performed poorly and was replaced by Dustin Crum. It's just more so that the, the talent of Dustin Crum is, is undeniable, right? I think Sean Lewis and that coaching staff had to have seen that in practice. And when they made the switch and gave Dustin Crum a chance last season, the team kind of took off. It's not that Woody Barrett did anything wrong. I just think it was one of those situations where the second string quarterback had demonstrated that he was ready to go. And I, I don't think anybody um, is going to second guess that decision, see, given what Dustin Crum has done for the last two years for the Golden Flashes. Yeah, no doubt. And so we've got Northern Illinois transfers coming in. We've got a Central Michigan quarterback transferring in. And now uh, we're going to talk about a Toledo transfer. Yeah, so Toledo picked up a, a Power 5 transfer as well. Tucker Gleason from, uh, from Georgia Tech announced the other day that he was going to be transferring uh, to into the Rockets program. Um, this is a guy who was a true freshman at Georgia Tech this year. He was the first recruit uh, to play, uh, to commit to Georgia Tech uh, whenever Jeff Collins, their new head coach, um, was, was named to that job before last season. So um, he was a, a true freshman this past year. No, no, didn't get any game time, didn't, didn't play at all. So you'd have to think that's probably part of the reason he's transferring. He's coming, going to come up to Toledo where, um, you know, obviously Eli Peters is still going to, is still going to be there. So, um, so uh, just another young, uh, young arm to have in the quarterback room there. I'd, I'd imagine if I'm Jason Candle, this is a kid that I'm kind of grooming to be my starter of the future once, um, you know, Eli Peters is gone. So, um, I, you know, we don't know much about him. He, he was a well-regarded prospect coming out of high school. Like I said, he's, he's from Florida as well, similar to Woody Barrett and, um, was one of the first recruits that, uh, that uh, Georgia Tech landed uh, under their new coaching staff uh, two years ago. So again, this is a guy we don't know a ton about. We haven't seen film on him. He hasn't. He didn't get any reps at Georgia Tech this past year. So uh, another young arm uh, in in the quarterback room for Toledo. And you know, anytime you can get a transfer like this, a high profile transfer like this from a Power Five school, you have to think that's a good good thing. If nothing else, just for for the additional competition at the quarterback position. And Zach, I think this offseason is turning out to be a little bit different than past years where we see a lot of Mac guys go to Power 5 schools, but yet we're seeing a lot of uh, Power 5 schools yet going back to Mac schools. We have the Rocky Lombardi, who we talked about, the Tucker Gleason. We have Jacob Sermon transferring to Central Michigan. I think we had a, uh, a, a Michigan State linebacker also tra transferred to Central Michigan like yeah. a week or two weeks ago, right? Yeah, you're, you're right. And, you know, I think there, there's something to be said for for playing time, right? I think a lot of these guys are folks that, you know, they were at power five schools, maybe they didn't get the reps or the game, you know, the game time that they thought they were going to get. And they feel as if transferring into a Mac program is going to offer them that opportunity to get on the field and get some tape. You know, it's been demonstrated many, many times over the last couple of years. We've talked a lot about it that, you know, the, the Mac is legitimately putting you know, pro players into the NFL right now, some of them very high profile. So these guys see that, you know, they, they, they commit to these power five programs out of high school with their future, you know, their dreams set on making to the NFL. And they realize that, Hey, you know, I, I, I'm here at this power five school and I'm not getting a chance. I can go to the Mac and get some playing time and still have a path to the NFL. And I think that's something that Mac coaches really can, can sell to these the potential transfers that say, Hey, you know, we put players into the NFL in this league, come here for two, a year, two years, whatever the case may be, get some reps, get some good film, and we'll get you drafted in a couple of years. 
Yeah, and and I think this is makes me excited. No offense to Matt, Matt McDonald for throwing him under the bus here, but this makes <laughs> me excited for all the quarterbacks we're going to see in the future, whether it's these transfers. Uh, Drew Plitt recently announced that he's going to be coming back. You have uh, you have Preston Hutchinson from Eastern Michigan. You have all these talented guys. Dustin Crum, of course, coming back for Kent State. Like all these guys, it's just going to be wonderful to watch these offenses click. I think it's going to be even better than we saw this past year. I think it's going to be a lot of high scoring, maybe even more than we saw this previous year. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm, I'm really excited. I think there's going to be a lot of really, really good offenses in the MAC this coming year. Um, a lot of offensive fireworks. I tell you what, Sam, I would not be want to be a defensive coordinator on one of these coaching staffs right now because um, it's going to be tough to stop some of these high-powered offenses. Yeah, and since we already talked about Central Michigan, um, yeah, Zach, if you want to talk about the David Moore situation some more. Yeah, you know what? This is one I think, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started recording here, Sam, and uh, this is one that surprised both of us a little bit. So for anyone to recap, anyone that might've missed our, or, you know, a couple weeks ago, when we talked about this, David Moore um, was reinstated by the NCAA a couple weeks ago on appeal. So he was going to have one year of eligibility left at central Michigan after having to sit out all of this past season and, you know, the final, you know, 75% of the 2019 season. Well, he just came out last week and, and um, announced that he was going to forego his final season of eligibility and, and go to uh, declare for the NFL draft. So, Sam, I don't know about you, but like I said, kind of surprised me. I mean, this is a guy that has, while he did have some good moments in a Central Michigan uniform, he, he didn't get a lot of, of game reps. You know, he, he only played, obviously, like I said, he didn't play this year. Um, last year in 2019, he only played in, in five games and started four for, uh, for the Chippewas. And that's really like, the, the bulk of his, his division one experience. So I was of the mind that he was going to come in one more year at central Michigan and kind of prove himself and then use that as kind of a catapult into the NFL or, or wherever then the next level CFL, whatever the case may be, he opted to just go straight for the NFL, which um, I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine that there's a ton of NFL teams that would um, that would be interested in drafting him just based on the, the limited amount of games that he played in college. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he gets drafted, but um, I was, I was just a little bit surprised by this decision. Yeah, I, I think I was too. But then Zach, I, I thought of what happened uh, within the central Michigan program and that's the addition of Jacob sermon. It makes me think, was he scared that he wasn't going to, that he was just going to basically ruin his draft stock completely if he loses this QB battle because, like, you don't yeah. know how how well the um, the transfer is going to come in and fit in that program there to decide to go to um, him. It's like the whole Justin Fields, Tate Martell thing where yeah. Justin Fields ends up winning and Tate Martell ends up doing nothing, essentially. So maybe that's the decision because uh, December 18th, Jacob Sermon um, chooses Central Michigan, and then December 23rd, five days after he gets reinstated, he he de- declares for the NFL draft. So that's just my thinking on it. No, and and I think that's that that's a very good point, Sam. And and the other aspect of this as well is that you know 
because David Moore didn't play this year, you had Daniel Richardson as your starting quarterback, who was a true freshman and who did perform pretty well. You know, he completed 64% of his passes, 769 yards, a two to one touchdown to interception ratio. So you're right. You're exactly right. With Daniel Richardson still there and Jacob Sermon transferring in, you know, if David Moore would have come back next year, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that he was going to be the starting quarterback. And you know, now that we're talking through this, I, I think you're probably right, was that he didn't want to take that risk of coming back to Central Michigan without having a guarantee that he was going to be the starting quarterback. And I understand that too. So, you know, best of luck to him. I hope that, you know, I hope he finds a route to, to professional football. Again, even if it's not the NFL, potentially going up to Canada and playing for a few years in the CFL and seeing what he can do there. There, you know, there's some opportunities there. So best of luck to David Moore. The, the news did surprise me a little bit, but we'll see where he ends up. No doubt, and and we're gonna move on to some Ball State news. We got some instead of some transfer news, we got some returning news. Yeah, I tell you what, man, a, a good week to be a Ball State fan. Uh, I I know I'm sure you're happy about this, but um, obviously, you know, we'll we'll get to the bowl game recap here later in the show where uh, Ball State picked up their their first bowl win in program history last week against San Jose State. But I tell you what, the the momentum from the last couple weeks of the season that the Cardinals kind of fortified seems like it's carrying over into the offseason because there's a ton of really important contributors here uh, over the last week that have announced that they're going to come back next year for Ball State. Brandon Martin, uh, Defensive Player of the Year in the MAC this year. You mentioned Drew Plitt. He announced he's coming back next year. Uh, AJ Uzadinma is coming back next year. I know there's some others too. Uh, Sam, what, what's the feeling like for you and for the, the Cardinals fan base right now with all this? I mean, you got to be feeling pretty good about the team next season. I mean, I, I'm feeling great. Not only do we have Justin uh, Justin Hall coming back, we have a new transfer in Stanley Berryhill coming back. Not sure the status on Antoine Davis. He could be a seventh-year senior, which would just be wild. But we got Jalen Magahi, who just outshined everything as a freshman. I, I believe Yo Hines is going to be coming back as a senior. Like, the weapons we have are legit coming out of Muncie. If, and if Antoine Davis comes back, we'll have a full five five stud wide receiver rotation, which is just amazing. We got Uza Denma leading our secondary next year. Our recruiting class for 2021 is looking, looking pretty good. So, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling really good about our team. Yeah, and I can't believe I forgot to mention uh, Johannes Tyler and, and Justin Hall when I was talking, but you're right. I mean, you think about the wide receiving uh, core that they're going to have next year, Drew Plitt throwing them the ball. And then on top of that, we know Caleb uh, Caleb Huntley announced that he's going to the draft. But I mean, Will Jones and Ty Evans both looked very good over the last few weeks as they kind of you know, were looking to replace the, the, the production from Huntley. I tell you what, Sam. With with all of the losses that that Buffalo has and and um, and, you know, some of these other teams, you know, Kent State, Isaiah McCoy declared that he's going to the draft. Ball State's going to be right up there at the top of the conference again this year, I think. And I think it's it's unbelievable kind of the, the how the switch flipped for the Cardinals from like week three onward. And how that momentum has really kind of carried into the offseason. I'm really excited to see how Ball State looks coming into next year. And I tell you what. If all things, uh, you know, if we have a full season next year, which knock on wood, fingers crossed, I hope we do. As a Penn State fan, I'm kind of nervous for Ball State coming into Happy Valley next year because Penn State has lost to MAC teams before. We lost to Ohio back when I was in school. We lost to Toledo back in the early 2000s. And Ball State, with this potential high-powered offense that they have next year, they do have the makings of a team that can knock off some Power 5 programs. 
Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward uh, to next season. Hopefully we can play a, a Penn State and Happy Valley, maybe get a, a surprise upset. But with that being <laughs> said, we're going to wrap up our football news. We've got one more thing to talk about, and this is actually uh, ma- uh, basketball news. Yeah, so um, the the mid um, the midseason watch list for the Becky Hammond Award came out the other day. So so um, Becky Hammond, everyone knows as is the uh, she's an assistant coach with the Spurs now. Uh, but the the award in in, co- in women's college basketball is for the mid major player of the year, and uh, the MAC actually put five um, five players on the list here um, out of fifteen total. So there's fifteen women on the midseason. Uh, watch list and five of them are from Mac schools, which awesome accomplishment for the Mac really good uh, for Mac women's basketball. Um, they got Buffalo sophomore Dasha Fair, Central Michigan senior Michaela Kelly, Bowling Green's Lexi Fleming, and then Ohio uh, two, two from Ohio, CeCe Hooks and Erica Johnson, who, who we've talked about a lot. I mean, these are, this is a, a great, um, a great honor for the conference. I mean, to have one third of the list populated by Mac players is really something special. I mean, Dayasha Fair from Buffalo has had a great start to the season. She's averaging 22.4 points per game, which is 22nd in the whole country. Also averaging 6.4 rebounds and 5.8 assists. Uh, CC Hooks, uh, she was the Mac defensive player of the year last year. Um, for the second straight season, all Mac first team, all Mac defensive first team, um, Erica Johnson, all Mac first team last year, fourth in the league in points per game with 18.6. I mean, there's so much talent in, in women's basketball in the Mac right now, Sam, we've talked about it a lot, how there's, you know, three or four teams here in the conference that look really good, uh, right now. And it's going to be awesome watching as this season progresses, you know, we're, we're into the thick of things in conference play right now, really a lot of talent right now. And that's what, a kind of a um you know what a kind of a you know props to the coaching staff at these school for bringing in talent to 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 compete at this level because it really shows on the court yeah i think these are the five names that are going to be on them for the mac player of the year i think we all know this uh and i think this is also shows uh who's kind of the the top of the mac right now you have buffalo who's doing really well you have one of their players you have central michigan who's uh top of the mac as well and then you have bowling green who's first in the women's mac and then you have ohio's two um people that we talk about every week it seems like cc hooks and erica johnson they continue to dominate they continue to just just look to look um just look as good as ever and yeah i i think that this not only shows who's going to be mac player of the year but just how good their programs are doing as well yeah no doubt and, and you know like you mentioned it's um it's it's been it's it's really the the top of the mac now in, in women's basketball i mean you got bowling green buffalo central michigan all at four and oh kent state right behind them at three and oh um it's going to be fun to watch this race uh down the stretch here over the next you know few months yeah, no doubt. And with that being said, Zach, do you have any uh, final thoughts on the general news before you wrap it up? No, I think I think we covered everything. I'm excited to jump into some hoops talk here. Yeah, no doubt. And with that being said, we've, we, we, we wanted to put this in the basketball section since this is kind of basketball related. So, Zach, if you want to take away the, the Northern Illinois uh, head coaching change. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, Sam, but this is another story that came out this week that that surprised me a, a little bit. I'd put it in that same bucket as, as the David Moore news of him declaring for the NFL draft. Um, Mark Mc- Montgomery was uh, was fired by um, by Northern Illinois as men's basketball coach this past Sunday, January 3rd. Now, 
it, it's not that I'm surprised that that he was fired. I mean, they did not have a good start to the season. And in his 10 years um, at the helm of Northern Illinois, I mean, they were well bef- below 500, 124 and 170. I am a little bit surprised by the timing of this, though, Sam. I mean, this is a team coming off of a um, a, a co-division title last year. I know you might dispute that a little bit as, as a Ball State fan, but but I mean, this is a team that was 11 and seven in the MAC last year, 18 and 13 overall. That was their best year that they'd had in the 10 years under Mark Montgomery. Now they didn't have a good start to this season. They were they're one and seven right now. Their only win was against Chicago State, who is notoriously one of the worst teams in Division One. So certainly they were struggling this year. But I mean, they were 11-7 in the MAC last year, eight and ten the year before that. You know, I, I understand. I mean, ten years and no NCAA tournament appearances. I so I understand it. I, I'm again, the timing of it is a little bit curious to me. I'm I'm wondering why they didn't let them play out the season and see if they might be able to turn things things around here over the next few months and and pick up some wins. But nonetheless, they opted to go. Um, they opted to, to, to do it now and, and play out the rest of the season with an interim head coach, which I don't know. That's always kind of a risky thing. We'll see how it works out for him. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I was, I was confused by the move just because, like you said, co-West Division champions, whether I dispute it or not, it, it happened. <laughs> it is. It goes by their name. They were fifth or they, they were fourth last season, I believe, in the MAC last year. They yeah. had a solid finish. They just lost their top two leading scorers. We interviewed one of them at Lacey James and Eugene German. And you go one and seven. You're expected to struggle when that happens. So I'm not really sure about the timing. I think – the only thing that really buys you is time to do that coaching search that you want to do. But you, if you didn't think he was the guy you should have done in the off season is my, my philosophy on it. The only thing that helps is giving you time to really find a new head coach, which I'm not really sure who would exactly be the, the, like um, who would be uh, kind of rumored to go after that job. But yeah, I, I think, yeah. I think that's the benefit of doing it in this kind of weird time. Yeah, I hear you. And and I think the other thing that we have to think about here is that this is not Northern Illinois. I mean, this is not a school that has a lot of, of rich history of winning in basketball, right? I mean, this is, they've been playing basketball since 1900 at Northern Illinois, and they've been to the NCAA tournament three times, you know, the last time being in 1996. This is not a, a, a an institution that has traditionally been super competitive in basketball. I think a lot of you know, fans in whether they're Mac fans or just college sports fans around the country, you know, when they think about Northern Illinois, they're thinking about the football team. And so, you know, the fact that Mark Montgomery wasn't able to get them to the NCAA tournament in 10 years, I don't know if that's necessarily indicative of his coaching ability. I think it's more so just this pro, this is a traditionally a program that struggles a little bit. You would think being so close to Chicago that they'd be able to recruit Chicago. And I mean, that's one of the best high school basketball cities in the country. I mean, there's tons of talent that comes out of Chicago every year. You'd think that Northern Illinois could take advantage of that. And maybe if they hire the right coach, they can. But, um, you know, I think, I I don't think Mark Montgomery's that bad of a coach. I just think it's, you know, Northern Illinois, when it comes to basketball, for whatever reason, you know, it's a tough place to win. Yeah, and, and Northern Illinois made it very clear that they they don't want to go one and seven in the season. That's why I think they moved on. But with that being said, uh, Zach, we've we've got quite a few basketball games, unlike last week, to talk about. 
Yeah. And, and um, I guess, you know, if you want to start with the women's side again here, Sam, uh, I think a, a lot to talk about on, on the women's side, you know, we mentioned um, already, we, we talked a little bit about uh, the, the kind of the top of the conference with, you know, we got three teams at four and oh, um, another, it, let me, let me pull the standings back up. We've got Bowling Green, Buffalo and Central Michigan all sitting there at four and oh, Kent State sitting at, uh, at three and oh, I mean, we got a lot of, a lot of good teams here at the top of this conference, Bowling Green off to their best start in the conference since 2013, 2014. That was the last time they started at least three, you know, in the conference. And, uh, and Sam, we actually had quite a few games, uh, going on here tonight. We're taping on Wednesday, uh, a couple games that just wrapped up. I mean, Bowling Green continued their dominance. They ran through Western Michigan, 73 to 48. Buffalo knocked off Eastern Michigan, 73 to 68. Uh, your, your Cardinals ball state knocked over off Toledo, 93 to 78. But I think, you know, Sam, I, I look at the top of the conference and then I look down in the middle of the conference. I see Ohio sitting there at two and two ball state and Toledo, both at two and two as well. I mean, you look at teams like one through six in, uh, in women's basketball right now. And I see a lot of, uh, there's, there's not much separating them. Yeah. We, I think, I think that's just a consistent thing we talk about each week with the podcast is just the depth at the conference, not really men's, but more specifically women's. I mean, eight and one, seven, two, six and two, all the way down to, you have to go all the way down to the third from the bottom with Akron to find a team that's below 500. I think that just speaks to the, or I should say, I should say Northern Illinois, my bad. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that just speaks to the depth of the conference that there's not really much difference between Bowling Green to all the way to Kent State. And then there may be a little bit drop off, but it's not a drastic drop off from Ball State to Eastern Michigan. So I think this conference is going to be super fun to watch, not ta- and j- just specifically in the women's. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that completely. And, you know, a big one game to really highlight from this past week was um, you know, central, we talked about this last week on the podcast in our preview, but, uh, you know, central Michigan traveled down to Athens this past Saturday to take on Ohio. We thought that there were going to be a lot of points in that game, Sam, and, and we were right. And, and central Michigan kind of eked out a, a 90 to 87 victory there, uh, in Athens. Um, Michaela Kelly led the way for the Chippewas 28 points for her. Um, and with that, Sam, I mean, I think with, with central Michigan now, kind of getting that win on the road in one of the toughest places to play in the conference at Ohio. I think to me, that kind of puts them in, in the driver's seat right now. Obviously Bowling Green and Buffalo are still right there. And, and that's, you know, they're going to have something to say about that, but I think going on the road like that and picking up that, you know, that impressive victory, they followed that up earlier tonight here uh, with an 83 to 58 win over Akron, uh, which was, um, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, to be expected. I think Akron's 0-4 in the conference right now. Huge game for the Chippewas coming up this Saturday. Huge game in the conference landscape in general on the women's side as uh, they travel to Buffalo. So a battle of two undefeated teams there at the top of the conference. That's one that I'm going to have my eye on this weekend. Yeah, but uh, to go back to the Central Michigan Ohio game, I think that just just highlights what we're talking about with the depth. The the three and three Ohio team took on the five and two Central Michigan team, and Central Michigan's supposed to be top of the MAC, and Ohio kept them to a three point game. So I think even with the dominant play of what what Central Michigan has on its team, Erica Johnson, CC Hooks, and everybody in Ohio can still give Central Michigan a run for their money. And I think this is just an 
a a a this was just a fun game to watch all around. Yeah, it, it was. And you know, the the only reason why I don't include Ohio in that top group of teams right now in terms of competitors in the conference is it's something that we talked about last week, right? It's it's the defensive side of the ball. On on offense, nobody is questioning Ohio's offensive ability and their ability to score the basketball. They lead the conference in points per game right now at 80. They're just a bit under 81. They're at like 80.8 points a game, but they're last in the conference in defense. They're giving up 81 points a game. And so you look at you you tie that into this game that we're talking about right now. You score 87 points in a division one college basketball game you're going to win that game 90, 95% of the time. But when you let your opponent score 90 points and, and you let them shoot 50% from the field and, and 43% from three point land, that's not a recipe for success there. So I think if, if the Bobcats can tighten things up on the defensive end of the floor and continue to shoot the ball, like they have been shooting, they're going to be right there at the end of the year. But I just think, you know, until they're able to do that, I think I would kind of put them in a tier just a little bit below, uh, you know, Buffalo and Bowling Green and Central Michigan. Now, to Ohio's credit, they did bounce back here tonight and get a nice road win um, at Miami. Miami's struggling a little bit right now, but they, you know, Ohio did win that game 72 to 63. Maybe they heard our criticism last week of their defense because they held Miami to 42% shooting tonight and 27% from three, only gave up 63 points. So if the Bobcats can figure things out on defense, I think they're going to be right there at the end of the year. Yeah, no doubt. I agree. And before we move on to the men's side, I think we got to talk about the beatdown that happened um, in Michigan. Yeah, Bowling Green, I tell you what, man, they they really are. Um, they're, they're, they're looking like a squad right now. They, they went up to Kalamazoo earlier tonight. And uh, yeah, this game against Western Michigan, man, it, it was never in, in question. Bowling Green raced out of the gates 23-12 uh, to 12 in the first quarter. Uh, they outscored them 25-9 to nine in the third quarter as well. Uh, Hemfling had uh, 16 points for Bowling Green. She led the way. Uh, Fleming had, uh, had 16 as well. So this is a team, uh, Sam, that's, you know, they're, they're balanced. They don't have any really glaring weaknesses. And, you know, this is, you know, they're, they're, they don't score the ball quite as well as Ohio and central Michigan do. They're sixth in the league in, uh, in scoring at only 72 points a game, but they're kind of the flip side of Ohio. They are the best defensive team in the conference. They're only giving up 62 points a game right now. And I mean, that obviously carried over into tonight. They uh, held the Broncos to 48 points, 34% shooting, 21% from three. I think that's what differentiates Bowling Green to me. I think you think about Central Michigan and Ohio and even Buffalo to a little bit of a lesser extent. They're, they're very offensive oriented. I mean, they're the top three teams in the league in, in scoring offense. Bowling Green, they're not going to run anyone out of the gym. They're not going to outscore a ton of teams, but they'll, they'll play great defense. They're going to rebound the ball and that's kind of their calling card. So that kind of contrast and styles is another thing that makes the, the, the women's side of things very interesting right now in the MAC. I think the three-point uh, shooting is what tells the whole tale of the game. When you let your your opponent shoot 10 of 25 from three for 40%, and you shoot four of 19, which is 21%, which is just a yeah. dismal for anybody. Like, I was yeah. watching IU uh, against uh, – uh, who was against Nebraska, and they shot like four of 21 the other night. 
yeah it's, it's just a dismal and somehow i you got the win but like western michigan if you shoot those games you're nine times out of ten you're not going to win those games so i think the three-point shooting tells the tale of the whole game and how bowling green was just able to dominate when you shoot 10 threes and when you shoot 25 threes and you make 10 of them you're probably going to win that game yeah yeah no doubt and you know, lo- looking forward into the week ahead here, Sam, uh, two really, really big games here in women's basketball in the MAC. I already mentioned that uh, Central Michigan traveling to Buffalo on Saturday. Well, uh, that's followed up by the Bulls. They get another home game next Wednesday. They're taking on Bowling Green at home. So we got Buffalo or we got Central Michigan Buffalo on Saturday and then Bowling Green in Buffalo next Wednesday. So I think here, you know, next week when we talk again, I think we might have a little bit of a better idea. We might get a little bit of separation between those two teams. I'm really curious to see how Bowling Green's defense is able to match up against uh, Buffalo's offense next week. I think I am too, but I don't. Th- I don't think those games will necessarily tell the tale of the entire game because as soon as you think that another team like a Ball State, a two and two team, a a um a Ohio team who's two and two will surprise you coming out of the woodwork do nothing so I think throughout this this entire season we're just gonna be waiting till tournament time to figure out who who's for real and who's not yeah yeah no doubt and and you know you mentioned Ball State there Sam they they picked up kind of bounced back tonight picked up a nice win at home over Toledo got to two and two in the conference 93 to 78 uh, for the Cardinals. Uh, it'll be interesting. You know, I think, you know, that's their team that can certainly make a move. I think I agree with you. Ohio's right there. Uh, Kent state's right there as well. You know, they're three and zero in the conference still, uh, they have, uh, they have some, some big games coming up. Like I said, though, CMU Buffalo on Saturday, uh, Bowling Green Buffalo next Wednesday, ball state traveling to Ohio next Wednesday as well, Sam. So some good games coming up here the next week on the women's side. No doubt. And with that being said, we're going to turn over to some, some men's where we had, Two two impressive Toledo game two two impress two impressive Toledo wins and then an Akron impressive one against Kent State. Yeah, let's uh let's talk about Toledo for a minute here, Sam, because I tell you what, uh, this is a team that really seems like they're coming into their own right now. They the the, the Rockets have won five in a row. Uh, they got picked up two really nice wins. This past week, they went on the road to Kalamazoo and, and beat Western Michigan 70 to 59, uh, where um, yeah, Ryan Rollins, the freshman who I think if 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 I had a vote for freshman of the year in the conference, I think he's got my vote right there. He's been phenomenal for the Rockets so far. 20 points uh, for him. Um, and uh, Marion Jackson only had 10. But uh, Spencer Littleson, uh, Shimade, they all kind of picked it up a little bit. The thing that makes Toledo so dangerous to me is they got so many guys that can score the ball. Spencer Littleson, Marion Jackson, Ryan Rollins, uh, Shimade. They got, I mean, all these guys and they're, they're versatile. And when they're hitting shots, they're, they're tough to beat. And uh, I, I think that kind of leads right into the game yesterday. We were talking a little bit about this before we started recording here, Sam, but man, this Toledo-Kent State game from yesterday, what an incredible basketball game this was. Back and forth, Kent State was up six at halftime, uh, but Toledo stormed back in the second half, ended up eking out an 84-82 to victory. Marion Jackson, 22 points for the Golden, or excuse me, for the Rockets. Spencer Littleson uh, led the way, though. Heck of a game for him. I'd say one of the better games he's had in quite some time, uh, for uh, the, the Rockets, nine for 11 from the field, eight for 10 
from three-point land, 26 points for him. That's not to say, uh, let's let's not forget about Kent State, though. I mean, Kent State, this is a team, they've lost a couple close games here over the last few weeks, but this is a team that's still, you know, they got some players and they're going to be right there. I mean, you, we talked a little bit about Danny Pippen. He had an unbelievable game as well. Uh, what did he finish with? 34 points for him, 12 for 23 from the field, six for 13 from three, also had 16 rebounds in this game. So I know uh, we were talking a little bit before the uh, we recorded here, though, but you know, this was just an unbelievable game back and forth. Uh, not a ton of defense being played. These are the top two uh, scoring defenses in the Mac. You wouldn't have guessed it by watching yesterday, but uh, a lot of great offensive basketball in this one. Yeah, I think, I think for me, every game I watched Marion Jackson plays, he, like, I just like him even more in this, this past game against Kitt State. I only got to watch the second half uh, once I realized it was on. I turned it on, and it was such an amazing game to watch back and forth both ways. Kent State, Danny uh, Danny Pippen being mentioned, it seemed like every minute of the telecast, sh- just shooting lights out. Him, Littleson, you, I, I believe you tweeted, you tweeted about Littleson throughout the, the game yeah. last week. So it, it was just a fun game to watch on both sides of the, the field. And unfortunately, one team had to win, but it was it was definitely a, one of the best games of the year so far. Yeah, I think thus far through what, through six weeks of the season or however many weeks now, I think Toledo seems to me is kind of the surprise of, of the conference thus far. I think everyone kind of had Bowling Green and Akron and Buffalo at the top of the conference. Toledo wasn't a team that got a ton of love in the preseason, but they're playing as good a basketball as anybody is right now. Like I said, they've, they've won, uh, they've won five in a row. Uh, They're playing some really good basketball at the moment and they're going to be right there at the end. Uh, I'm really excited to, to kind of watch them here over the next few weeks. They've got some big games coming up as well, but right now four and zero in the conference nine and three overall, you look at them over the next, uh, you know, couple of weeks, they got a big game versus Ohio on Friday night. They travel to Akron next week. So we're going to learn a lot about the Rockets here over the next few weeks. Yeah, no doubt. And and next, I gotta give a shout out to Ohio, who not only got a a nice win against Ball State, but then just uh j- just got a win against Northern Illinois. Yeah, you know the the thing about Ohio right now is, you know, we talked about them last week a little bit. How we felt like maybe we got a little bit too high on them after that early season performance at Illinois, and then the, you know they they had that blowout victory over uh, Cleveland State that that everyone you know talked about that got a lot of attention because they went on that forty to nothing run. They've kind of cooled off here over the last few weeks. Obviously, the Jason Preston injury has not helped that. He's missed their last three games. Um, they last week, uh, last Wednesday, they played Bowling Green at home. They played really, really well in the first half of that game. They were up. By, I want to say they were up by six at halftime in that game. And they just kind of fell apart in the second half. They weren't able to really put it together and, and, and keep it up in the second half. They ended up losing that one uh, to the Falcons. Uh, 83 to 75, but they've bounced back nicely since then. They went to Ball State on Saturday without, again, without Jason Preston, beat the Cardinals 78 to 68. And then again, last night, kind of jumped out early against Northern Illinois. They allowed Northern Illinois to come back a little bit. They only ended up winning that game by three. But I tell you what, the guy for, for, uh, for Ohio that really, really has impressed me here over the last couple of weeks. You know, we talk a lot about Ben Vanderplas and obviously Jason Preston, but the senior transfer Dwight Wilson uh, 
uh, the third, the, 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 the center or the power forward for the Bobcats. He's playing really good basketball right now. He's averaging 16 a game, eight, eight and a half rebounds. He's shooting 65% from the field, which is always good. You always want that from your big man. And this is a guy that's, you know, he's performing every single night. He had 25 and eight last night against Northern Illinois. He had 20 and six last week against Bowling Green uh, earlier in the year when they lost to Marshall, we had 24 and 12. I mean, this is a guy that has, uh, let me see here. One, two, three, four. This is a guy that has four double doubles on the year. I mean, this is, you know, he's been a, a, a consistent producer. He's a good passer out of the post. Ohio does have some players. They got some they got, uh, we mentioned Vanderplas, Dwight Wilson, obviously Jason Preston. This is a team that if once, you know, Preston comes back and they're, they're at full strength, um, you know, they're, they're still going to be there. They're still going to be able to make a run. I still think we might've been a little bit too high on them after that Illinois game, but this is a solid team and they're going to give some teams some problems. I, I think that just speaks to the depth. You mentioned Wilson third. We mentioned Vanderplas, we mentioned Roderick. But you know who the one guy that has had to step up since Preston has gone down? And that's Mark Sears. And watching that Ball State game, he yeah. just completely changed the game from he's had 18 points. He had 10 against Northern Illinois. He had nine points against Bowling Green. He's had to step up. He's had to play 30 straight minutes and three straight games, which he hasn't all season before, before uh, Preston went down, which is just – huge and he's only a freshman you mentioned yeah. your freshman of the year uh so far i would have to give it to sears if preston continues to not play because he's just stepping up in a bigger way that preston's just uh leadership has left and i think to watch this ohio team is just phenomenal to not only get a win with their their main guy down but do it in a way where their entire uh starting lineup is scoring double digits every single point you're not getting a whole lot of production from your bench so you're all your starting five is stepping up yeah, no, I certainly agree with that. And, and you, you do love to see the depth there. If you're a, uh, if you're a Bobcats fan and you're right, Mark Sears, the, the freshman uh, point guard, he's really stepped in nicely since Jason Preston went down, obviously kind of broke out in that game against ball state this past Saturday, 18 points, uh, eight assists, six rebounds in that game, seven for 12 from the field, followed that up with 10 points and seven assists last night against Northern Illinois. So, you know, I, I think, Obviously, when you see things like that, when you have a freshman that steps in and, and, you know, kind of looks the part and doesn't look like he's overwhelmed, I think that bodes well for the future of the program. And you'd love to see him be able to kind of mesh with Jason Preston when he comes back and, um, and kind of expand his role a little bit. You know, prior to Jason Preston's injury, Mark Sears wasn't getting a ton of run. You know, he had 16 minutes in that Cleveland State blowout. But other than that, most of his games – playing less than 10 minutes a game. These last three games, he's been over 30 minutes. So, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they integrate Jason Preston back into the lineup. Obviously, he's still going to be the starting point guard. The question then becomes that, you know, Mark Sears has proven that he belonged here over the last few weeks. So how do you kind of continue to get him into the rotation and kind of balance him and Jason Preston together? Yeah, no doubt. And with that being said, we're going to move on to our uh, players of the week where you should give one for the men and women. So Zach, why don't you give me um, your, your uh, men player of the week or uh, men player slash team of the week? Yeah. So I'm actually, I went with a team actually this weekend. I, I decided to go with, uh, I went with Bowling Green, uh, uh, you know, a two and O week for the Rockets. This is a team I, I had some questions about, 
um, I, you know, after a, a couple weeks ago, I should let me excuse me a three and zero week for the Rockets this week. If we're if we're going back to, to last week to when we previously recorded, and you know, I, I talked last week about how you know they had one really really bad game a couple weeks ago against Wright State where they were down thirty five at halftime in that game. They ended up losing by eighteen, but they've bounced back since then. Uh, a couple weeks ago, they they beat Robert Morris by twenty, and then they've run off really three really impressive. Uh, victories here over the last week, two of them being on the road. I mentioned last week, last Wednesday, they went down to Athens. Uh, they were down by 10 at halftime in that game, and they dominated the second half there, outscoring the Bobcats 51 to 33 to pull out the 83 75 victory. They followed that up with a 68-42 win at Northern Illinois on Saturday, which ended up uh, getting Mark Montgomery fired uh, in DeKalb. And then they followed that up last night with another unbelievable effort, a 90-69 win at home against Central Michigan. I, I look at this team right now, Sam, and there's just so much firepower on offense. I mean, Justin Turner putting up close to 20 points a night. Daquan Plowden had another hot couple highlight reel dunks last night for the Falcons. He's an unbelievable athlete. And then you got a guy like Trey Diggs, a senior coming off the bench that can get you a bucket anytime you need it. Any anybody, anytime that you can have a team uh, or a player like that coming off of your bench that can get you 12, 15, 17 points a night. That's not a luxury that most teams have. So I think the depth of this team, the firepower of this team, they can shoot the ball, they can rebound. This is a team that, you know, if, if, if they can uh, shore some things up and, and continue to defend and, and play at a high level, they might just break their streak of going to the NCAA tournament this year. That, that's definitely a good shout. And I went with a little bit of a different, I went with the player. I went with somebody who doesn't really get a lot of love and that's Danny Pippen. He tried every, everything he could to get this uh, Kent state team, a win against a Toledo team. That's very good. We talked about earlier and he just couldn't 34 points, 16 rebounds. He shot 12 of 23 from the field, six of 13 from three point land. So not only did he shoot over 50% from the field, he almost shot 50% from the three point land on 13 attempts, a double, double for him. Just a really solid performance. Doesn't get a whole lot of attention because he's on Kent state and they don't get a whole lot of attention. So, I went, I went with uh, Danny Pippen. I thought that was a solid choice. Yeah, I, I can't argue with that. I mean, he's their leading scorer. He's just under 20 a game. He's right there at 19.7. And then he's getting you 8.3 eight rebounds a game. He's shooting 34 points, uh, 34% from three-point land. He's really one of those guys that, that can do it all. And, you know, you look at him and, and you look at his frame – I mean, this is a guy, like I said, he's averaging almost 20 points a night. He rebounds the ball. He's tough under the basket. He can shoot the three. He's six, nine, all of those things. To me, he kind of checks all the boxes, Sam, for what they look for at the next level, right? He can defend multiple positions. He can rebound. He can shoot from outside. If he can keep this up, I'm not saying he's going to get drafted, obviously, with only two rounds in the NBA draft. That, that's pretty tough. But I could easily see Danny Pippen getting a look from an NBA team and ending up in a training camp next year if he continues up this high level of play. No doubt. I definitely agree. And Zach, uh, who was your uh, women team slash player of the week? Yeah, you know what? I, I went with Central Michigan for this one, Sam. 
Um, a lot of that is because, you know, we, we talked about the Ohio game a, a couple weeks ago or a couple, a couple minutes ago where they went down to Athens on Saturday and knocked off Ohio 90 to 87 on their home court. I mean, Michaela Kelly, Molly Davis are playing at such a high level right now. Uh, Michaela Kelly had 28 points in that game. Molly Davis had 23. This is a team that I think with that win, they, they kind of put themselves in, in the driver's seat for now. Obviously, they have some some big games coming up here uh, in, in the next couple of weeks. They're going to have to go up to Buffalo, uh, and that'll certainly be a, a telling game for them. But I mean, this is a team, you know, they're, they're second in the league in, uh, in points per game and, you know, in scoring offense, they're, uh, they're, they're fourth in scoring margin. I, this is just a, a team that really does it all. You'd like to see their defense be a little bit better, but they shoot the ball there, you know, they shoot lights out They're They're second in the league in, uh, in three point field goal percentage. Um, I, this is a team I, I really like the way they're playing right now. They also just play a fun brand of basketball. They, they get up and down the court, they run, they shoot a lot, really fun to watch them play. And like I said, I just, I had to give them the, the, the spot here this week, just because of that big win going on the road in Ohio and, and knocking off the Bobcats. That, that's a good shot. And I just realized while looking at their box score, they have uh, someone on the bench. I watched in, um, she was, she played at my high school, uh, Rachel Luby. She, she was actually really fun to watch. Uh, it says second all time on our, on our scoring list and uh, all time leading rebounder at my high school. So that, that gives her an extra, that gives that team an extra edge already for having someone from my high school. Cause let's be honest, <laughs> my high school didn't produce many athletes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, everyone out there knows. I mean, especially growing up, you know, you grow up in, in this area of the country. Everyone knows I, high school basketball in Indiana is no joke, man. So, yeah, that that's a that's a nice little uh, a cool little connection there. Yeah, no doubt. I, I went with a, a different team. I went with the Bowling Green women, similar to uh, your men. They, they're just having a they're just having a one heck of a time. Not only did they have a 20 plus point victory, but kind of going in hand in hand with your uh, men. They're both first in the Mac. And we talk a lot about uh, Turner. We talk a lot about Plowden. You mentioned Trey Diggs, but not a lot of love is given to those Bowling Green women. And I think that similar to Danny Pippen, not a lot of people are t- talking about. Them, so I think I, I just got to show them some love this week. Yeah, I, I, I can't uh, I can't argue with that. I think that's a good choice there, Sam. Is it, like I mentioned earlier, this is the first time they started three and zero in the conference since 2013. And also, um, I hate to say this to you, Sam, but their their 34 point win over Ball State that was their largest. Victor, margin of victory in a MAC game in nearly four years. So certainly uh, a good start to the season for the Falcons. There's going to be, you know, these teams at the top of the league are going to have to separate here, you know, find a way to differentiate themselves over the next couple of weeks. And uh, Bowling Green's going to have some opportunities to do that. You know, they're going up to Buffalo here uh, in the next uh, in the next week. And they're obviously, you know, Central Michigan is going to be there down the line as well. So it's going to be a fun, uh, fun race to the finish line on the women's side. No doubt. And with that, and before we move on to the bowl game recap, Zach, is there anything you you want to um, talk about on the, the basketball side of things? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times now. I'm really excited. A couple of those women's uh, games this week, we got central Michigan at Buffalo on Saturday, Bowling Green at Buffalo on Wednesday. 
Uh, those are two really, really big games at the top of the standings there. I'm, I'm excited to watch those. Obviously, um, on the men's side, you know, a couple of the hotter teams in the conference. we got Toledo and Akron. Toledo's won five in a row. Akron looks really good right now. Lauren Christian Jackson has won player of the week the last two weeks. Akron's going to Eastern Michigan on Saturday. It'll be interesting to see if they can keep their high level of play up as well. No, no doubt. With that being said, we're going to wrap up today's show with a talk about, we talked about Buffalo's win, and now we got to talk about a uh, the Ball State Cardinals taking on San Jose State. Yeah, I tell you what, Sam, uh, man, Ball State was not messing around in this game, were they? I, I you know, I, I expected, I know when we talked last week on the show and in, in kind of our, our preview, um, you know, you, you picked Ball State to win. I thought Ball State was going to keep it close, but I don't think either of us expected that 34-13 beatdown that the Cardinals laid on the Spartans last week in Tucson. Um, it was never close. It was never close in this game. Ball State uh, raced out to the first 27 points. It was 27 nothing after the first quarter in this game. And the crazy thing is, is that you know, Ball State put up 34 points in this game, and offensively, they didn't even really do anything too eye-popping. I mean, Drew Plitt was 12 for 19 for 217 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Will Jones was 22 carries, 89 yards and a touchdown. Johannes Tyler had himself a nice game, four receptions for, for 103 yards, and, and he had a score as well. But I mean, Antonio Phillips opens up the game with uh, the, the pick six on San Jose State's first drive. Ball State gets the blocked punt that leads to another touchdown. And it was like, you know, this game, you know, it was 20 to nothing Ball State before San Jose State even knew what hit him, Sam. It was really, really impressive performance from the Cardinals. And I will say uh, one one thing before we get into it. it. Last time I checked, there were some there was highlights on this game. So if you did happen to miss it on New Year's Eve, you can check it out. Ball State just just clearly out dominated. But if you want to go watch it, you can. Unlike other MAC games, we can't really uh, go back and watch it. So that's that's pretty cool if you want to watch it. But uh, yeah, I think I think like I I said be, going into this game, it was going to come down to Tyler Stockton's defense, and it clearly yeah. showed. They opened the game with the the pick six as you mentioned and they just throughout the game they just never let Nick Starkle or the few times Nick Nash came and really get going they had a they had many forced turnovers Nick Starkle's three picks Nick Nash's uh pick in the end zone or it's just the stifling of the run game or just really covering the receivers really well it was an all-around complete effort on the defensive side of the ball and that's why Ball State went because like you said it wasn't a flashy game on offense it was more like the defense getting stops when they needed to because it could have gotten a lot closer than the, the score showed yeah, no doubt. And I, I think I, I, Tyler Stockton and his preparation and the, the preparation of the staff on the defensive side of the ball these last two weeks with, you know, the, the game plan that they had against Buffalo in the MAC championship game and then the game plan here against San Jose State. I am really, really impressed with with what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball. If I was Mike New. Um, I, I'd be looking to, to keep Tyler Stockton around as long as I could as I was in Muncie. But I think, you know, you mentioned Nick Starkle and he's kind of the guy that, 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 you know, rose the boat for San Jose State, right? He's kind of their leader on offense. Now, he was 25 for 42, 268 yards. But you mentioned the three, the three interceptions that he threw and he just he never looked comfortable in this game. And you know, Ball State, you look at the box score, they only had one sack, but I think that's a little bit deceiving. That doesn't really tell the whole story. Brandon Martin, this defensive line, 
they got pressure on him all game long and, um, and, and Nick Nash as well. And I think that's kind of what led to some of those turnovers. It didn't show up on the stat sheet in terms of sacks, but it showed up in other ways. And, and the interceptions was, was obviously one of them. And that played a big difference in the outcome of this game. Yeah, you mentioned it. San Jose State's a team that likes to get rid of the ball quick. One, two, three seconds, and it's out of their hands. So you're not going to get a lot of sacks. Uh, Ball State only did one, but like you mentioned, he was never comfortable. They could never really get into the game plan. And yes, there were there were uh, their coordinators were out and their top receiver was out, but it just didn't look like a game San Jose State really wanted to be in. They were never comfortable uh, really being there. I don't know if they they just wanted to go home or what the deal was. I know I know they went home for Christmas break and didn't really have a lot of time to prepare or whatever, but it just never looked like a game that San Jose State was interested in um, competing in. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And it's crazy because the final score of this game was, was 34-13, which, you know, sounds like a blowout. It is to an extent, but I actually think that that score is a little bit deceiving. It could have been a lot worse uh, for the Spartans. I mean, Ball State was up 27-0 after the first quarter. The next three possessions that Ball State had all ended in San Jose State territory, one with a missed field goal and the other two with, with fumbles when Ball State turned the ball over back to San Jose State. If Ball State converts on any of those those drives, you know, it's 34, nothing, 41, nothing, something like that at halftime. I mean, ball state, I mean, to say that they dominated this game, I I think would be a little bit of an understatement. And I got to say, Sam, I I know that, you know, you, you've been critical of of Mike new and his coaching staff this year. And, and a lot of that is warranted. I, I hear a lot of what you're saying, but man, these last two weeks, Ball State has looked like a different team, and I think the coaching staff deserves a little bit of credit for that. Yeah, I, I will give uh, Mike New a little bit of credit this game. I thought they did let the game slip away a little bit more than they should. A lot of drives did stall out of their first quarter, but Mike sure. New at that first quarter and the rest of that game, they just basically just dominated, and I have to give credit to them. Like, I've been critical, you mentioned it, and it has been rightfully deserved, but this game, it, it was not warranted. He, he did everything right. I think I think this game this game plan was um, executed flawlessly. The game against B- Buffalo was executed flawlessly, and yeah, we're sitting here at, uh, not only with a our first MAC championship in a while, we've got our first uh, bowl victory in a while. Yeah, no doubt. It's you know it's crazy after after that Western Michigan game. If you would have told me that Ball State was going to dominate Buffalo and then dominate San Jose State in their bowl game. I would have thought you were crazy because the team the, the team that took the field the last two games for Ball State does not look like the team that took the field against Western Michigan last month in Muncie. Uh, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know what they were feeding their, their, their guys over the last couple of weeks, but it really seems like a, a flip just kind of switched, you know, for the or a switch. Uh, yeah, flipped for the Cardinals and they've really turned it on here over the last few weeks. And I think that's kind of just a, a, a tribute to a, a kind of a veteran team with a lot of senior guys and guys that have been around for the last couple of years, obviously, you know, Drew Plitt, Justin Hall, uh, Brandon and Martin, those guys have been around for a few years. They've been through some lean times and anytime, you know, you have a core group of players that sticks around like that and has that experience, not only does it, it, it's, is that meaningful? But you also, you love to see those guys succeed after sticking through some, some tough times. 
Yeah, and and not only that, it's our first uh, bowl bowl victory ever in program history. We saw Kent State do it last year. This year, it's our time. I think this is a really nice um, foundation for Mike New to build off of. We mentioned uh, a lot of the guys are returning from uh, this past year. We do have a couple guys uh, leaving, Caleb Huntley and Antonio Phillips, but man, I'm, I'm really excited about our future. And I, th I think we should uh, see the Cardinals succeed in the future. But with that being said, Zach, is there anything uh, you want to add to close out this episode? I'm just going to, I'm going to say one thing, uh, you know, bold. I don't know how bold this, but I'm going to prediction right now for the 2021 okay. Mac football season. I'm, I'm putting it out there early right now. You mentioned how Kent State got their first bowl win last year. Ball State got their first bowl win this year. I'm going to call it right now, 2021. Mac championship game at Ford field. It's going to be drew Plitt versus Dustin crumb ball state versus Kent state in, in Detroit. That's going to be, there might be a hundred points in that game, but Maybe. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm looking forward to it. I think right now, as I look across the Mac, those to me are, are the two best rosters. Obviously I think Buffalo's still going to be there, but they're, they're losing a lot. A lot of guys that have, have declared for the NFL, Jared Patterson being, you know, first among them, Antonio Nunn and some of those guys on defense, Malcolm Kuntz, they're going to the league. I think um, Toledo has a lot of talent, but we've talked a lot about the inconsistencies there and how they can't seem to get over the hump. When I look at the Mac next year, I see Ball State and Kent State, man. I, I, that, that's my pick right now. I'm going to put it out there early. Okay, that that's that's certainly that's certainly an interesting one. Um, we'll we'll <laughs> let we'll let uh, the 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 listeners uh, decide if they like that or not. I'm sure Toledo fans won't be happy again about not going back to the MAC championship. But hey, all right. I mean, it's it's about right for Toledo fans. But um, with that being said, that's going to wrap up this episode, episode 27 of the Mac uh, Bandwagon Podcast. Again, we thank you guys for listening. And, yeah, we hope you guys have a rest of your – a good rest of your week, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.